The Dudes of Kung Fu podcast is brought to you by Wing Chun Illustrated Magazine. Wing Chun Illustrated is the premier publication for Wing Chun. Published six times a year, Wing Chun Illustrated is a perfect bound, full-color, glossy publication. Each 60-page issue comes packed with in-depth content and feature stories by and about the world's greatest exponents of Wing Chun, regardless of lineage or style. Wing Chun Illustrated has featured people like Imin Bostepe, Philip Bayer, Yip Chun, Gary Lam, Donald Mack, Samuel Kwok, David Peterson, Chan Chi Man, Mark Phillips, Wan Kam Leung, Sam Lau, Robert Chu, Sifu Sergio, Victor Ken, and many, many more. There are two ways you can enjoy this fantastic publication. Go to wingchunillustrated.com and order the magazine as a print-on-demand. The print quality is simply amazing. Or download the Magster app and get a subscription. That's Magster, M-A-G-Z-T-E-R. This way, when the new issue hits the stands, you'll automatically receive it as a download onto your smart device for offline reading. In fact, with your new Magster account, you can access the magazine on multiple devices, iOS, Android, Kindle Fire, and web browser. To make the deal even sweeter, listeners of the Dudes of Kung Fu podcast can use the coupon code DUDES to get a six-month complimentary digital subscription. That coupon code is DUDES, typed in all capital letters. Go to Magster, again M-A-G-Z-T-E-R, to register, add the six-month subscription to the cart, and apply the coupon code at checkout. The Dudes of Kung Fu love Wing Chun Illustrated Magazine. Hey, everybody. This is Big Sean. We had a great time with this episode. It was so much fun. We uh, went over a few things. Um, we talked about whether there should be a women's only class. We talked a little bit about some old uh, Kung Fu martial arts movies. And we also talked a little bit about people that live in a Kung Fu fantasy land. And uh, it was just, we had a lot of laughs, a lot of fun. And I'm absolutely positive you're going to love this episode. Enjoy. <laughs> Dudes of Kung Fu. Please welcome your hosts, Alex Richter and Big Sean Madigan. Hey everybody, and welcome back to our Dudes of Kung Fu podcast. What's going on, brother? Nothing much, man. Uh, it's been a few weeks since we did our last one, and uh, it's uh, it's good to be back. It's good to hear your voice again. Well, I wouldn't go so far as to say it's good to hear your voice, but... What's with the stubble on your chin? You look like you're trying to be a man now. <laughs> well, trying, yeah, that's always the operative word. Uh, I'm down, I'm down here in South Florida, like I was last year. I had mentioned before that uh, basically I had to kind of take the whole month of December off to come here and work on kind of bigger end projects and do some writing and things like that. So I'm in South Florida, hanging out with my parents in some kind of retirement community. So when I said it was nice to hear your voice. I mean that because everybody else here is like is is retirement age and their and and their biggest concerns are like you know that the the bilge pump on the boat they just bought isn't working right and so, so to say I have nothing in common with most of the conversations that are going on around me doesn't even do it justice so uh, it's nice to uh, be talking kung fu again. <laughs> I cannot wait to be of retirement age and. Be, be, be annoyed by you young whippersnappers and young kids. <laughs> yeah, well, it wasn't entirely without Wing Chun either. So I, so I got here basically on uh, the, the beginning of December, and I've been doing lots of training down here with different 
um, different instructors of different styles just to kind of keep myself sharp and to, you know, kind of test out my knowledge and my ability in different areas. And then also I had a a private student, somebody from Austria who's a high-ranking Wing Chun master, come and spend a whole week with me and do private training with me for a whole week. So actually, he just left a few days ago, and I basically spent an entire week doing Wing Chun four hours a day anyway. So not much actually changed in terms of the amount of Wing Chun I'm doing compared to my New York hustle. But uh, now I'm kind of like, <laughs> you know, out in the patio enjoying the sun a little bit and and, and kind of chilling. So yeah, I've, I've not shaved. My daughters are not very happy with it. Uh, I asked my youngest one if she likes my beard, and she looked at me and she just goes "ew," and then moves her hand in front of her nose like she smelled something <laughs> bad. And I was like the kids will always give it to you straight. That's the great thing about them. So, what about you? What you been up to these last few weeks since our last show? I'm doing, you know, doing well. I'm doing the, you know, I'm busy with work, and we're getting ready for Christmas here. Um, my kids are grown. But we're still pretty big on the whole Christmas thing in my house, and we have the tree up, and we try and watch a Christmas movie or Christmas like, like show. Like Die Hard or something? Oh, you know what? We just watched Die Hard not too long ago. <laughs> and uh, you know what? And I hear, and I never gave it thought before, but Lethal Weapon should be considered a Christmas movie also. Oh, the original one? It's been a while since I've seen it. Was that around Christmas time when that's yeah. first? Got it. Yeah. Yeah, so, um, but, you know, we also go for those boring ones, like, you know, Frosty and Rudolph. And, sure, sure, and, sure. The um, standards, right? Oh, yeah. And yeah, have you watched Rudolph ever? Like, do you watch Rudolph? Like, you mean the claymation one? Like, yeah. the old school? Cl yeah, I mean, I haven't seen it in maybe uh, dude, watch 15, it. 20 Santa, years. Santa was a dick, man. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, Santa... Uh, all the reindeer, what a bunch of assholes, man. I'll tell you, it was, they didn't need poor Rudolph until they needed him. Got and then it. once that they needed him and his shiny freaking nose, it was like, you know, all, like all of a sudden they wanted to like hang with Rudolph. He became the cool kid. But before that, they shunned the little poor bastard and they, oh, it was just, it was sad. It was sad. Is it, it was, isn't it kind of weird when you uh, watch stuff that you had seen as a kid, like stuff that was so great? And then when you see it as an adult and you're just like, and you pick up on things where you go like, what was going on here? Like, I have that same thing when I watch martial art movies that I loved when I was a kid. Like, like you go back and you watch Bloodsport as like a full right. adult. And you remember how cool Bloodsport was because the story of Bloodsport is awesome. Right. Like when you actually look at the execution of it. It's just like, this is totally ridiculous. Why would they even go through all this trouble to have like this tournament in this one place? And why wouldn't they just do it this way? And well, why did this guy do that? And like all the motivations are like totally don't make any sense. And, and, and it's just funny to go back to that stuff when you're older. For me, the martial arts movie that, you know, even back then I kind of realized it was ridiculous, but still loved it. But now I know I couldn't sit from one to five minutes was the one. And you'll know the movie. I don't even know the name of it. With uh, the first movie with Jean-Claude Van Damme, um, the guy like dreams that Bruce Lee's teaching him. And... Oh, no retreat, no surrender. That's right, no retreat, no surrender. <laughs> right, exactly. That's the movie. I love that shit, man. Yeah. I used to love that shit. That was the bomb, that movie. Yeah, it was like a hybrid of kind of like the Karate Kid story with, you know, some kind of like Kung Fu in it and Bruce Lee. And and as a kid, it was like, yeah, who wouldn't want to go and like learn from the ghost of Bruce Lee? And, and but yeah, you go back and you like you, you see the acting and how 
bad it was and how how terribly dated it is to the 80s because they're, they're movies that were made in the 80s and the 70s and while the clothing might be dated but the movies themselves still hold up but right. then there's certain movies that are they just date themselves so poorly like like this uh, one scene in No Retreat No Surrender where you know it's like Buddy comes is like you know is like the token black friend and he's like rapping about Bruce Lee and you're just like oh my god this is like <laughs> what are you talking about? I actually thought about this movie I don't know why a couple of weeks ago and you pop into my head with the scene of when Bruce Lee is teaching the kid whatever his name is and he says that he draws on the board a, a Chinese character he's like the character Wu. Yes. The violence and then the stop violence. And yes. I was going to say, I got to ask Alex if those are the actual characters or not. Yeah, actually, it is because the, the, it's the character. Well, what's also weird is that the, the character that plays or the actor that plays Bruce Lee's ghost is not even Chinese. He's a Korean actor. His name was Kim Tai Chung. He passed away a couple of years ago. And oh, he must have been young because he was. Pretty... Yeah, he, well, he wasn't very old, but Kim Tai Chung is famous for. Uh, he was one of the famous Leah likes, like the guys who look like Bruce Lee after Bruce Lee died. Right, they had right, like right. Bruce L I and Bruce L E and sure, all that kind sure. of stuff. But he was actually Korean. He wasn't even Chinese. And what's interesting is if you've ever seen the abomination of Game of Death, the one that they completed yeah, you know, around sure. 1977, 78 after Bruce Lee had passed away. That actor from No Retreat, No Surrender is actually the primary double for Bruce Lee in Game of Death. It's the wow, same I actor. No yes. And what makes that movie so schizophrenic, besides the fact that they completed a movie with only 15 minutes of actual Bruce Lee footage, um, is that they didn't have one guy uh, doubling, like, Bru like doing all the non-fighting scenes with Bruce Lee. They had three. And if you, know, if you ever have a chance, sometimes they show the movie on El Rey, if you ever have a chance, so there was Kim Tai Chung, the Korean actor from No Retreat, No Surrender. He was the guy who was actually Bruce Lee through most of Game of Death, like okay. wearing like the beard and, you know, being the old man and moving around. And, and he did all the fight scenes. But then the problem was Kim Tai Chung didn't speak English. So there were a couple close close up scenes where the Bruce Lee actor is like talking on the phone. Right. And they had a second actor that just did the close-ups on the phone because he could speak English. But he but he didn't do any of the fighting stuff. And then whenever there was something acrobatic where like you had to do like a backflip or something, yeah. it was actually Yun Biu. So uh, in in like the fight scene where he fights Bob Wall in the in the locker room, you know, you lose, Carl Miller. <laughs> like, <that famous laughs> scene. You can you can clearly see it's both Kim Tai Chung from uh, No Retreat, No Surrender doing most of it. Of course, they always spliced in random scenes from actual Bruce Lee movies, which was just yeah. like insane. So you had Kim Tai Chung, and then every once in a while there was like a backflip off the wall. It's Yun Biu, and you could totally see it's Yun Biu's face. And then you'd go back to Kim Tai Chung, and then it'd go back to a, a clip of Bruce oh Lee. Oh my god! And it's what just a like ridiculous your, your, thing. Your brain wants to like explode watching this, but yeah, Kim Tai Chung uh, passed away a few years ago. What's interesting though about No Retreat, No Surrender, while it's basically a terrible '80s movie in terms of its acting. But if you look at the fight scenes and you compare the fight scenes to what was going on in American action movies at that time, the fight scenes in No Retreat, No Surrender are actually very fast. They're very well choreographed right. and they're done in a very Hong Kong style, which didn't exist in the U.S. until The Matrix. Even Jackie didn't make fight scenes quite like No Retreat, No Surrender. And the reason is because the producer of No Retreat, No Surrender was Ng Si Yun 
who was the producer of Drunken Master in Hong Kong. And he was a Hong Kong film producer who managed to make a movie in the States. And that's why he brought some like Hong Kong uh, action choreographers like uh, Corey Yoon. And then he had Kim Tai Chung from the Bruce Lee movie to do basically Hong Kong style action. And I think it was Van Damme's second movie i oh, think it was his second one i thought it was his first one okay. well i think it's the first movie where he gets like fate well he, he he's kind of the main guy but Bru uh, um sorry jean-claude van damme's very first movie is actually the movie break-in i don't know if it's break-in one or if it's break-in two electric boogaloo it's one of the break-in movies really and, yes but but he's not like it, there's a scene where they're like they're like dancing i think it's on venice beach in california and they're like, you know, they're doing their break dancing, and Jean-Claude Van Damme is in the crowd, and you can see him. And I think that's oh, actually that's his awesome. first movie, yeah. And um, and then I, No Retreat, No Surrender, I think was his um, was his first main movie, and then the, and then he finally got the the big break for Bloodsport. But uh, yeah, so so it, it's very funny that they they cast this Korean actor again who couldn't speak English in No Retreat, No Surrender. That's why it's clearly not his voice, but. Um, to go back to your question, the character that he wrote is the character Mo, which means martial arts, like Bei Mo and right. Mo Sut and that stuff, right? And and that ca that Chinese character, which means martial, is has two components. One is the spear, um, right. which which means martial, and and then the other one is to stop. So it's like the techniques to stop violence, to to stop the spear, because the character actually exists from when martial arts were about uh, battlefield stuff, not. Uh, right, right fist fighting or whatever so yeah it's like the the techniques to stop the spear basically oh that's awesome that's yeah, uh, yeah. I, 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 you know, it's funny because you you popped into my head which is scary enough as it is <laughs> but uh, i was like oh, i gotta ask alex about that i, I mean we'll I mean, of course we'll we'll all agree that nothing will ever live up to the uh to the martial arts excellence that was jim carter Ooh, Jim Cotta was a specially kind of weird 80s type movie. That's that right. That was the worst piece of dreck that was ever made. Yeah, I think what's <laughs> weird about it is that it wasn't set in like modern time. It was like in this weird medieval Lord of the Ringsy weird kind of like alternate universe. Like it was, it was like really weird. Like he, where was he? Was like in Eastern Europe, but then. There's I have like a, no idea. There's a, I, I there's remember a it, but he's I don't fighting remember these it. So basically, right, the pummel yeah, horse. He's on yeah, a pummel horse. For, for, for those who don't know, Jim Cotta is a terrible 1980s martial arts action movie. I think it might have been also made by Canon, or maybe it was Warner Brothers, or I think I think it actually was directed by Robert Klaus, the guy who did Enter the Dragon. Although right, I would have yeah. to double check on that. But um, basically, they took a gymnast. I, I don't know if he was like an Olympic level gymnast, but he was like a very high level gymnast. And they tried to create like a martial art where he's basically using gymnastics mixed with martial arts, which uh, well, they already have that. It's called Chinese wushu. So, so but anyway, it's like ridiculous because it's like gratuitous like flips for the sake of doing flips. And then there's like some scene I remember where he's being chased, and then there's a random dude. It was a real gymnast. It's Kurt Thomas. Yes, it, it, it's like a, a random pommel horse in the middle, and then he gets on the pommel horse and he's doing like gymnastics routine while kicking all these people away. <laughs> it's like so ridiculous. Yo, man, I have to I have to go on YouTube and watch that. It's been a while. And dude, I'm I'm just looking at the stats here online now. Yeah, that movie made five point seven million dollars at the box office. Holy cow! That must have cost almost nothing to make too. It says here that it had a budget of four million. Oh, so I mean, uh, that, must, that means they spent three million on the fucking pummel horse. 
<laughs> that must have been a gold fucking pummel horse because. <laughs> wow, that that is so wow. Thanks for bringing me back to that. That that is definitely a blast. Oh, but hey, so Kurt Thomas. Richard Norton, he was the real deal for a little while. Yeah, Richard Norton still acts. Uh, Richard Norton uh, does um, stunt stuff. I'm friends with him on Facebook. He was like still, he did, did like Suicide Squad. He's like in all sorts of stuff. He's still very and you know active. who else was in it? Oh, my Who? God. I'm going to go back and watch this thing. And again, I'm going to I'm gonna fuck up the name here, people, but Alex will know exactly who I mean. Tadashi Yamashita. Oh, Tadashi. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course. The, the Black Star Ninja from America. Yes, Ninja. the Black Star Ninja, right? Yes. Exactly. Yes. And, and, and he also, but he was also a legit martial artist. He had like a bunch of books. I think I have his Nunchuck book. Yeah, I yeah. I have, I, I have some of his, his uh, <laughs> right. he did all his martial arts weaponry books. Yeah, Tadashi Yamashita. That's right. That's right. The Black Star Ninja. Yeah, it was bugged me really... about the Black Star Ninja. It's like, why did he put his ninja mask under his nose? It's like, that's not ninja-like. You always <laughs> put the mask over your nose. I'm watching as a kid, you know, because when you're a kid, like, the rules are so important because, like, you, you, you don't understand when there's, like, exceptions to things. Like, all ninjas pull their mask over their nose. Right. And then, and then the, the Black Star Ninja had the mask right under his nose, and you're like, wait a minute, that's not right. <laughs> like, what's the point of wearing a mask where people can basically recognize? It's the most recognizable part of your face is your eyes and nose. <laughs> like, it's like you kind <laughs> of like are giving it away. That's like a very bad ninja tactic <laughs> to do that. Well, I mean, and the ninja movies back then were just the freaking best thing in the world. Revenge of the Ninja. And yes. Well, there was the, the the whole Shokasugi Ninja series. Yes, that was the bomb. So the the first one was Enter the Ninja, which is a very creative ninja title right there. Enter the Ninja. Yeah, all no, right. Um, and then uh, the second one was Revenge of the Ninja, and the third one was Ninja Three: The Domination. Well, I think I think the second one was, which is the one that starts off with. Obviously, it's like. It's like a house in Japan, and that's oh, Revenge of the Ninja. That's that, the that's one. that's the one that was the really that was the shit, man. That's the hey, well, that's amazing because of the three, that one is my favorite because it's the most ninja dense of all of them. Oh, absolutely! I wanted to be that kid. Yes, I yes, wanted yes, to yes. be that kid, man. Kane Kasugi. That's oh right. my god! Right, yeah, right. Shokusugi's Pl- son, played by his real life son. Yeah, yeah. and he had the he had the uh, the the how I say Hakama. The, uh, the the pants with the, the split yes, pants. Yes, and that's right. That's right. He had the, he, you know, he had the Hakama and... And oh, also, man. Revenge of the Ninja has, like, one of the funniest and cheesiest lines, which is, like, which could never work in today's climate. It, remember when there's that blonde chick that is totally oh, in God. love with him? How, then, how could I forget that blonde chick? I'm when you're a kid, it was pretty amazing. And then, yeah. and then she, she walks in just wearing the gi top. Just wearing the gi top, has, right. And Shokasugi, he's so straight-laced. He has the best line in the movie. He looks at her and he says, if you want to work out, you forgot your pants. Right. Which <laughs> 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 is like so great. It was like such a great line. And then, you know, she's like, well, do you really think I forgot? It's like, oh, my God. Even as a kid, I remember like my eyes rolling, just going like, my God, get back to the ninja stuff. Yeah, the oh, opening man. scene was ridiculous. There were like all those ninjas attacked his family for like no reason. And then, yeah. he, and then he like just kills everybody. They kill his wife and his son. And then he goes to the States to open that museum with the Japanese imports, which they're secretly smuggling drugs in that he doesn't know about. His best buddy's a ninja master. And then they have sure, sure. And they have the ridiculous showdown at the end on top of the building where it's like, rooftop, yeah. where did you hide all those weapons coming up? You know, yeah. it's like, I don't remember you bringing an entire duplicate of yourself to, to, to like fake the guy out at, in the water. And, and also like, 
he gets up the building, right? And he's like, okay, I could like disguise myself as a normal person and go up the elevator and get to the top of the building, or I could put the ninja claws on and climb the building. <laughs> like no one's gonna see you do that. And it's like, and even if you could climb up that damn building, wouldn't you be totally exhausted by the time you got up? And hey, then it always, you have to it fight always the worked for guy. Batman, dude. It always worked for Batman. <laughs> yeah, would, that's so funny. You know, you go Batman back in, back in the 70s, he always climbed up the side of a building. Yeah, and you and you always knew that it was like that they filmed it vertically and then just turned the camera, whatever. And then they would always in the old Batman series, they always had like a a, a cameo. Don Rickles the, or yeah, something. Don Rickles or, or or Jackie Mason or whatever. Yeah, that would just pop out. It's great. <laughs> yeah, so funny, man. So funny. Yeah, the, those the, those uh, those movies. While they definitely some of them don't really hold up, but some of them are still really entertaining. I mean, they're like the kind of things that you just watch, like because it's kind of like watching a train wreck, and they're so damn funny. Yeah, they also did the um, American Ninja movies, also. That That's was, right, uh, with Michael little... Dudikoff. He did a few of those, and then they got somebody else, and then they got Dudikoff again, and. But and, some yeah. of those were pretty good also. There was the uh, one with him in the army, I remember. That's the first one. Well, I mean, he's in the I mean, he's an army guy in basically all of them, but the first oh, okay. one. Uh, uh, yeah, he's, he's in the army. driving the truck and someone yes. was selling arms. Yes. Yeah, I, and, and then there's and then there's Steve James, the his 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 black partner who like Sure, sure. Yeah. Who challenges him and then like he chokes him out with the uh with the garden hose in yeah. front of everybody and then like and then he becomes his buddy and then inexplicably by the second movie um, Steve James's character like knows kung fu and he's fighting everybody with butterfly swords. Which <laughs> is like, wow. Those are the things that, you know, as a kid, you just go like, I want to live in this universe where you're in the army and you fight ninjas. Like, and that's cool and nobody says anything, you know. And, and there, yeah, the second one, they had ninja clones. They were making clones of them. And then there was like a whole, he was creating a ninja army out of clones. It was like right. so ridiculous. Yeah, well, for a while there, man, ninjas were the shit. I mean, it That's was right. all about ninjas. Even even Hong Kong cinema was affected by the whole ninja craze in the U.S. Because obviously ninjas are Japanese and it's not a Chinese thing. But ninjas became so big that even in Hong Kong, there was like a very small ninja craze where they were trying to like latch on to that success. And it actually happened during the final days of Shaw Brothers as a movie studio, because as um, you know, many people know the iconic Shaw Brothers Kung Fu movies from the 70s and early 80s, but there was a point kind of by the mid 80s where uh, the Shaw Brothers, they were kind of like winding down on making movies and they were focusing on the TVB, the TV station, right? So Run Run Shaw basically closed down his movie studio. But right before they did that, they were like really trying to compete with Golden Harvest. Like Golden Harvest is where Bruce Lee was and Jackie Chan and Sammo Hung. And Golden Harvest kind of became the main competitor for Shaw Brothers. But at the, and at, in, by the mid 80s, Jackie Chan was so big that Shaw Brothers could not compete because Jackie Chan is like jumping off of buses and doing right, all these right. stunts. And Shaw Brothers was still making movies in indoor studios, like costume dramas. And right, so Shaw right. Brothers became very kind of out of date when Jackie Chan be went to like the modern actioner. So there are a couple movies at the end of Shaw Brothers reign where they are so desperately trying to like make money by just going that they just went ape shit. Like the movies were like super violent and crazy and just insane. Like they would just do whatever they could to keep up with Jackie Chan. And one of those movies is a movie called Five Elemental Ninja. 
And that movie, it's basically a kung fu movie, but with ninjas. And it's so insane and so violent and so ridiculous and so over the top that you basically see, like, this is what a studio did in the very last days to try to keep up with stuff like Police Story, where they were just like, we're just going to make the bloodiest, craziest, right. like, most nonsense ninja movie possible. And it had, like, people like Lo Mang and, and uh, Chen Wai Men and lots of, like, famous Hong Kong actors. But it is in insanely violent and insanely crazy <laughs> so so if you want an insider tip from me go on youtube or wherever wherever or actually it's on netflix and watch five elemental ninja it is nuts totally nvts nuts that's really <laughs> cool i remember when, i remember there being a movie well one of the hong kong flicks where it was kind of like a. Oh, gosh, I think it was a, a Japanese gentleman who marries a Chinese girl. Oh, yes, yes, And yes, the yes. Japanese guy was ninja, was a ninja, or I, think, I believe in the movie he was a ninja, and, and the Chinese, his Chinese wife was trying to show him that they had... It's, it's the other way. So, so okay, that, sorry. That movie, that movie is called Heroes of the East, and it's funny that you mention that because Heroes of the East is the first non-Bruce Lee kung fu movie that I ever saw. And uh, that was back in the day when they used to show those movies on Saturday morning, Black Belt sure. Theater back in the 80s, right? And so I had seen Enter the Dragon and fell in love with you know, Bruce Lee and Kung Fu and I didn't want to do karate anymore. And then like probably one or two Saturdays after I saw Enter the Dragon, on that Saturday on Black Belt Theater, they showed Heroes of the East, which is Gordon Liu, you know, um, sure, uh, uh, um, Pai Mei from Kill Bill and of course, you know, 36 Chambers and all that stuff. And... Um, and, and his Japanese wife, and they were kind of like, it was kind of an arranged marriage, and she practiced Japanese martial arts, he practiced Chinese martial arts, and she was like hardcore and like doing all of the martial arts and wrecking his whole house and everything, and and he was trying to get her to do more ladylike martial arts, things that look more like Wing Chun, like keep your knees in and, right, and right, do all this right. kind of stuff, and she didn't want to do it, and then she got very angry with him and went back to Japan, and then he wrote a letter which the Japanese martial artist construed as a challenge. And then they sent a delegation to come down and he basically had to fight a different style of Japanese martial arts every day. And so he would like, if you know, with the, he would use the butterfly swords and they would use the sai, they would use the nunchucks, he'd use the three sectional staff. So he used the Chinese counterpart to whatever Japanese style right. or weapon they were doing. And that movie was directed by Lao Kar Leung. He got actual real Japanese martial artists, which was normally at that time they just got Chinese guys to play the Japanese. Those are actual Japanese martial artists of those specific styles. And at the very end, he fights the ninja played by Yasuaki Karada, who has like the crab style and, and does all that crazy stuff. And um, I met Yasuaki Karada, who was also in Fist of Legend with Jet Li and a num number of other movies. I met Yasuaki Karada in Hong Kong. And... I went to his school. He's got a dojo in Hong Kong. And I, and I did a seminar with him and I told him, I said, like, you know, I, the first Kung Fu movie I saw after Enter the Dragon was Heroes of the East, which you were in. And it's big reason why I do and teach martial arts today was watching that movie that you were in. And he was like, he was like, oh, thank you. So he was like, so super humble. And, right. and it was just amazing. Like you could see this guy that you saw as a kid. That movie is, in my opinion, one of the best. It's a very underrated Shaw Brothers film because nobody dies in that film unlike all the other Shaw Brothers movies for the most part. No, there, there are no casualties in that film. Right. And at the end, they basically come to a, mu uh, a mutual understanding and respect of Chinese and Japanese martial arts. 
is actually one of my favorite movies and 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 the fight choreography is really incredible and and Gordon Liu's character actually uh, discusses a lot about the real philosophy of Chinese martial arts and um and you can and and they also hear about the Japanese philosophy too which is different but also equally beautiful and it's a very great movie to kind of contrast the the two different virtues of Chinese and Japanese martial arts i think it's a really fantastic and underrated film and it's funny it's like it's, it's, one, of, it's one of the ones i just stays in my head, you know. That's it's... awesome. I have it at the school, and occasionally we'll just play it on the big screen, and I'll just leave oh, it running really in the cool. background. Yeah, yeah, yet yeah. another, yet another reason to go join Alex's school. <laughs> Kung Fu oh, seriously, the best fucking school in the world. <laughs> you know, it's funny because, like, uh, although I was old enough to not be crushable at this point, when all these ninja movies were going on, I'm, I'm probably 18 years old, 19 years old. So I wasn't crushable at that point, but I was still young enough to like in my head secretly want to do this shit, you know? <laughs> and you know, you know the deal when you're like 19, 20 years old, you know you should be an adult, but you really want to be 16, you know? And um, <laughs> I, I had, we had a family friend who um, was just a nice guy and he was into martial arts. So of course I was always into martial arts. I used to always talk to him about it. Not that he, he was never my teacher or anything. But um, I remember him like being really harsh with me about the ninja movies, like like just being just like this total douche about it, you know. I remember yeah. saying like one day like, oh man, I really would like to learn ninjutsu. I know it's really popular right now, and and he would be like, why, why? He goes, the ninjas were criminals. They were criminals. If you want to learn about Japanese culture, you know, learn learn about the samurai, not about the ninja. The ninjas were the criminals. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, I know. And, and I had always had a fascination with samurai, with Miyamoto Musashi, and right. I, I always, I grew up with that. But um, he would, he would just be like, you know, first of all, a couple of things. The ninjas were criminals. And two, <laughs> they didn't even wear those ninja outfits. That's right. And I remember thinking, like, what do you mean they didn't wear those? I mean, like, in my head, like, sure. of course, that was the official fucking uniform right. of the ninjas, you know? And I'm saying, no, they didn't wear that. That's something that background actors wore in kabuki theaters to tell the audience not to pay attention to those characters, that they were going to be moving scenery around and you were to not pay attention to them. Right. That's, that, so that's where the whole idea of, of, of these guys wearing these ninja outfits was, because in Japanese culture, it means ignore me, I'm not important. Right. And, and sure, of course, if a ninja's job is to assassinate somebody or they're like a mercenary for hire they might need to dress up like a like a villager to to do that job and get in there and then get into the room and kill the guy they're not going to necessarily wear something that's going to indicate like hey there's a ninja over there um <laughs> you, you, you know they're, they're going to dress like a normal person and they're going to infiltrate because they're basically kind of like spies and mercenaries and so, yeah, if they went out at nighttime, maybe they would wear all black to kind of blend in. But, you know, they could be dressed like a normal person during the day, like if you're going to believe that whole thing. And so and theoretically, I could be a ninja right now. And you, you could totally be a ninja right now. And uh, but the only problem is usually when you say you're a ninja, that's usually a good indication that you're not actually a ninja. <laughs> I, I, I think I told the story on the podcast before about the ninja who once showed up to my school, right? You probably did, but you know, I'll be honest with you, I really ignore most of what you say. Yeah, so, <laughs> yeah, so <laughs> ma many, many years ago, uh, I was te teaching a class late night at my school, and basically, uh, uh, somebody buzzed in, and they buzzed in close to 9 o'clock, which my class is winding down, so I didn't know why somebody would be coming in then, but I thought maybe it was like somebody who, who was yeah. like a friend of one of my students, right? And then, like, I get this knock on the door, and I, I open my door. This is years ago. 
I open the door and there's a there's a black guy in a full ninja outfit standing oh, right outside oh, yeah. my door. Oh and, my god. And and by full ninja outfit, like he was wearing the mask and he had the gauntlets, you know, with the little middle finger thing and the tabby boots and everything like that. And he did not have a backpack or duffel bag, which gave me the indication that he, he walked, walked through to my the city that way. wearing that. Like it wasn't like he went into the hallway, <laughs> put that on, and then he's sneaking down Sixth Avenue. <laughs> like a ninja and, and of course for people who are not from new york you might think that's kind of crazy but like sean can also go yeah i can kind of see that like somebody oh, absolutely. Walking, down, walking down the street i can picture some cop in a radio car on sixth avenue seeing this fucking knucklehead going yeah i'm gonna have to shoot him later <laughs> <laughs> and 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 the guy basically like he kowtows to me and gives me a bow and then he introduces himself i don't remember the guy's name and he basically says that he goes, I am a ninja and I'm a, he said like, I'm a ninja and martial arts instructor or something like that. And he goes, and I'm going to open a school a few blocks away from here. And he goes, and I'm going to teach ninjutsu and here it comes, Wing Chun. So basically this ninja's looking at me and he's telling me that he's a ninja, which is usually an indication that you're not a ninja if you're right, telling right, somebody right. you're a ninja. And he's also telling me that he's, teaches Wing Chun and then he's going to open a school two blocks away. So this guy is going to be a future competitor of my school, according to him. Right. And then he says, but, but it's been a while since he did Wing Chun and he needs a refresher course. And so he <laughs> wants to train at my school. And I'm just like, and I, and literally all of this happened within 10 seconds of me opening the door. So I'm processing the fact that there's a ninja outside my door, that he's going to open a school, that he's going to teach Wing Chun, but then he needs to learn Wing Chun to remember it so he can teach you it. No, people wouldn't believe the fucking, the, the level of insanity that you meet in martial arts. Oh, yeah. So I told the guy, I said, oh, I'm really sorry. Sivu's not accepting any students right now. And, uh, you know, it, it, so you got to come back some other time. And then the guy looked at me and he goes, aren't you the Sifu? And I said, no, 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 I'm not. I just work here. And then the guy pulls out my flyer, which had my photo on it. <laughs> and he's like, um, aren't you this guy here? And I'm like, um, I look like Sifu. We get confused all the time. And then he basically just walked away. It was just so bizarre. It was that so is, crazy. So the, the, level of, the, the, the level of insanity in martial arts is really crazy. I mean, right. especially traditional martial arts, because a guy walks into an MMA gym and look, I'm sure MMA gyms in New York have tons of crazies who go in there and like, yeah, I want to fight in a cage. I'm sure that they get all that kind of crazy shit too. But traditional martial arts, because for right, a lot of people- fascination. And, fasc and there's also a, a, a lot of fantasy involved in a lot of this, because a lot of people come to this up strictly because of the movies. So they have very unreal expectations when it, when you say that you teach kung fu. You know what I mean? They imagine sure. you know invisible chi lightning bolts from your hands and your job you know flying on cables and shit like that. But you know, so. even even on a more realistic basis, not 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 the really not the kung fu shit. The they they they, they uh, I'm sorry if I'm fumbling on my words here, but like the, the guys that think they can fight it's not like the chi power and they're they're you know a version of spider-man if they <laughs> think like like because they hang heavy bags and shit in their mom's basement right and they punch the heavy bags wrong and they kick the heavy bags wrong and they practice some form that they saw on youtube or something to, and they combine forms 
and and their moms tell them, "Oh, you look great, honey." <laughs> and and I never forget being, again, a young man and being in um, oh, what was the name of the store? Booklatech. Oh, Booklatech, yeah. Booklatech, yeah, BLT down in Chinatown. Right. I remember yeah. being in BLT and just looking for books on Wing Chun or many years ago, and I, and I remember this guy coming in and him look like asking the woman behind the counter. Can I see that book? Can I see that book? And he was looking at all these books about the traditional Chinese Kung Fu. And he was looking for forms. And he was telling her. And he was so fucking sincere. Like, I'm creating my own system of Kung Fu. And I'm going to combine, you know, the best forms from each system. And, you know, can she suggest which forms from which books he should use? And I can see this like look on her face like, please, ninjas, pop in here now and fucking kill me. But, of course, she had to sell the books. And I'm looking at the guy and I'm saying, like, you're fucking kidding me, right? Like, like, but he looked so sincere. Like, there was not a an ounce of of joking in his... And, right. and there, or an ounce of, like, oh, yeah, I know it sounds stupid, but this is what I'm into. Right. No, he was... He was like, I'm a fucking kung fu master, <clears throat> or, you know? or, or or even the shame that he has to ask the the the, the, girl, the girl who works there what right. styles he like like he doesn't even know enough to go like maybe I want to take these joint locks from Aikido and I want to take the kicks from Taekwondo like and I want to take like the punching techniques of Wing Chun like he doesn't even know that he needs to like ask the person who works there for like the, so it's like a style created based on the suggestions of a clerk at a, a martial arts bookstore. You know? So I remember she hands him some book and he's looking through it and now he's trying to do the movements that Ugh. are in the book. Ugh. And she's got to tell him, I'm sorry, you can't do that in the store. Right. And he's like, oh, okay, no, I just want to see if this is something I want to add to my to my art, you know. Sweet and Jesus. And this was not like... I mean, not that he was an old man, but he wasn't 15. Sure, he, sure. You know, he was 25, 30 right. years old. Right, right, right. And, like, it's, there's that level of ridiculousness yes. found in the martial arts. Right. And, and I think the problem is, is because, like, I, you know, I'm fat and old. Everybody knows I can't do half the shit that I used to be able to do. But I'm honest about it. When it comes to martial artists... Unless they fight, they can kind of cover up that they really can't do shit. Right. You know what I mean? It's like one of, like, one of the things I like, like I, I, I love guitar. And one of the things I love about guitar or musicians is because they pick up the guitar and they can play or they cannot play. With martial arts, there's this kind of like, oh, I could show you, but then I'd have to kill you bullshit that goes on right. with these super secret traditional <laughs> martial arts. And it's it it really borders on the fucking insane. Yes, it really borders on the insane. I remember uh, Matt Thornton when he came and did his first seminar for me here in Brooklyn, and a couple of his guys showed up to the seminar, and I had never known he didn't he didn't tell me. I wish you could have would have told me, but he didn't tell me that the reason a few of his guys had come was because he was getting threats from this fucking knucklehead to come and fight him at the seminar. Uh-huh. And it turned out to be one of these fucking kung fu dudes who showed up at the next 
like uh, leg of his seminar, I think, which was down in Pennsylvania or something. <laughs> you know, and and they were and like what was so cool about it was that they because I saw the footage from it, they were so gentle with this guy. This guy showed up to fight them, and they said, "Well, first you have to train with us. You can't just fight." And 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 one of the guy that Matt had worked with him was so gentle with him. Like at any point, he could have just choked him out and sent him home. Mm-hmm. And the guy was, you know, three hundred pounds and pouring into it. And like they literally thought he was going to die of a heart attack several times. That they kind of had to revive him, give him water, then to try and nearly kill him again. Jeez. And and it was purely because he lived in a fantasy world. Right. And you just find that in martial artists, in martial arts and in martial artists, more than almost anything else. I mean, the martial arts, the traditional martial arts, just seems to attract that shit. I don't think it's, it's insane because you don't see that with that many other like sports. Like you don't see that with football players, you know, because they either have to play or can't play. But Mm -hmm. With martial arts, you see that a lot, right? I mean, sure, yeah, absolutely. Definitely. And you being in a public school, a public school—I uh, don't know the right word for it—but a commercial mm-hmm. school, yes, you must see that like all the fucking time. Yeah, I mean, sometimes you you get um, you get people who come in they 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 want it to be like the Shaolin Temple and like they want it to be like something from Thirty Six Chambers, although you know that deep down inside they probably actually wouldn't even train that hard because even that training is very hard and very tough. Right. But they, they somehow want this kind of like very, um, oh, very presumptuous kind of atmosphere of like, oh, we are all Kung Fu people and we're all above everything. and We're going to train very hard. We're going to develop these skills that no one can stop. And they want to live in that world, but they actually – don't want to even really put in the time to allow themselves to be so arrogant to actually act that way. It's like you got to be really good to talk that much shit. And and um, it, they they come unfortunately fully indoctrinated in in you know films and ideas. And and I think that a lot of that stuff is actually perpetuated more from the other traditional martial art guys and just from the films. We know films are fantasy, but there are kung fu schools out there who really right. do pitch. Um, the skills that you would learn in whatever style as if it, it runs parallel to that, which, you know, you know, to a training montage in, 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 in some Kung Fu film. And so we, we have to fight against that quite a bit. And it's, it's, it's really difficult, you know, you know, and, and, and just because Wing Chun is more on, on the pra- more practical end of the spectrum than say some of the other arts doesn't mean that we're also not fully uh, having to deal with, with that same kind of nonsense too. So, um, you know, it, it, it the, the culture needs to change and, and, you know, it might take a little bit of time, but hopefully, hopefully it does, you know, we can still retain the best parts of a traditional martial art, but, but still, you know, train it in a way where that we're, we're not creating generations of people who believe nonsense. And so that, that's, uh, um, you know, that's going to take a little bit of time. Um, hey, did, by the way, don't mean to totally go off topic, but I just popped into my head. Did you see who I had uh, dinner with uh, almost two weeks ago? Uh, no. You don't. I thought you stalked me a lot more than this, man. What's going on? I'm very disappointed in you. I had dinner with the current WBO boxing. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah. did see that. Yes, I did Bo- see that. Boxing. You, you, light- it was your cousin's friend or something, right? Yeah, yeah. So boxing light heavyweight champion uh, Sergey Kovalev. So 
that was really cool. So um, my, <laughs> my 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 cousin is kind of like a, a high roller here in in Miami, and he uh, he actually did. And I may have mentioned this on the podcast before, but my cousin did martial arts back in the seventies. So my my cousin's about. He's about 10 years older than me. So um, I didn't see him that much growing up, but I always knew that I had this cousin who was way into martial arts and he was like crazy into Bruce Lee. And in, in that 70s way, he could do the splits and he was like hardcore into training martial arts. And um, I inherited a lot of his old like uh, Inside Kung Fu magazines and stuff like that as I was growing up. Um, later, my cousin got really into boxing, like really into it, like where he he trained, he's, he's very good friends with Roberto Duran and um and he trained with a lot of those guys and he was actually on track to have a professional career before he like went into real estate and stuff like that and um and i actually saw him hit the pads last um last year with his trainer and like my cousin's no joke like i mean he hits like you can tell like oh right. you, you have you're not just hitting pads like you've actually boxed like there's right, a big yeah. difference and so he also promoted a bunch of boxing fights and my cousin is well connected in real estate and knows a lot of celebrities and and you know he, he he's like he's like a dude who knows people and so uh he he was like hey you want to come to dinner with me and sergey kovalev tonight and i'm like oh yeah <laughs> like you don't need to twist my arm <laughs> so uh sergey kovalev was there and and so was his family and got to hang out with him and talk to him and it was and he was so cool man and also it weirded me out because i've been so like i'm a huge mma fan i don't follow boxing that much and so when I think of light heavyweight, I think of UFC, which is 205. But a light heavyweight in boxing is 175 pounds. And right. I weigh 171. Right. <laughs> and, I'm like, and I'm like, you know, and he's taller than me. I mean, obviously he cuts weight or whatever, but it's funny to think that the light heavyweight champion in boxing weighs in like four more pounds than I walk around. <laughs> it's kind of like kind of weird, right? But um, yeah, he was talking about how he, you know, trains in Big Bear, you know, trains at Elevation and and I asked him about how he does the weight cut and how he does his training. And he was just super, super cool. Like that was really amazing. He's super good people. And, nice. you know, we were like walking in, in the, uh, in the fountain blue hotel in Miami beach. And like, we're just walking with him and like joking with him. And then like people would yell, Hey crusher. Cause that's his nickname. And it was just, it was just super cool. Like he was just, and he was really good people, really good people. That's so, awesome, dude. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Yeah, I remember when I saw it because, um, I saw you posted it on Instagram. Yeah. And, uh, of course, me being a Rangers fan, you wouldn't know this, but uh, the guy behind your head there, Mark Messier, played yes. center, which is a position in hockey. He was the center. On his wing was a guy named Alexei Kovalov. Uh-huh. So, who was one of the most famous Russian hockey players to come to the NHL back in his day. Sure. And um, so when you posted that you had lunch with Kovalov, uh-huh. I was like, fucking Alexei Kovalov? <laughs> no man the fighter won <laughs> yeah that was that was really really great also i um i don't know the, you know the the big famous uh mma uh training camp or mma school uh called american top team sure Amer american top team is is literally 15 minutes down the street from where i am right now and so I, I went there. Uh, I checked them out last year. You know, as a I'm a martial arts business owner, so I like also just to go to schools that are really high end and are really doing well. And just I just like to walk in and just take a look at like 
what's their front desk look like? What kind of service do they provide? Like I'm always constantly looking right. like, you know, like on the business end of things. And I went there like on, um, I don't know, like on a Monday or a Wednesday night just to check it out. And they let you just go and sit and watch. Mm. And it's a huge facility there. It's their flagship facility in Coconut Creek. Yeah. And, and it has like, they have like, a, like these amazing, they have a cage and they have all this and all these UFC fighters f uh, train there regularly and then you have regular classes for normal people and then in the corner you have like the pro fighters are there with their trainers and like i walked in and i turned around because uh, somebody walked in right behind me i turned around and it's henan barrow you All know right. and like and henan barrow like the former bantamweight champion like he just walks by me and i'm like you know i just kind of waved him he was super cool and glycin tebow was there and and um also um not not the female cyborg, but the male cyborg fought in um, uh, in Bellator. The one who got like his sure. head head caved in by that's that her husband. Strike. Yeah, yeah. Um, he 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 was he was like he was there too, and it was just Batiste, like just, isn't, yeah, uh, some, yeah, something like that. And um, and then I saw Colby Covington. Do you know about Colby Covington? Yes, I do. Yes. So he he is kind of a bit notorious. Well, he just beat Damian Maya, which is very impressive. Um, right. But he's he's a bit notorious these days because he's he said some kind of borderline racist stuff on twitter and he's also like he's like talking shit to everybody and like colby covington was like training in the corner by himself and also verdum threw a boomerang at him like three four weeks ago so in, in australia it was like got in his face and uh, fabrizio verdum had a boomerang in his hand and just point black threw it at his neck <laughs> like it was kind of crazy oh my so god anyway, like like he was there and it was it's just kind of funny like you just walk around and you see all these people and and um uh, Tiago Alves was there, and it was just Thiago like Alves, yeah, that's... yeah, and it was just like they were all just hanging out and training, and it's super cool. And and um, uh, Dean Thomas, who's on that TV show with Dana White, was there, sure. and yeah, it was just it was just kind of, kind of cool, like just to, to like see that that kind of culture, and the, the school's really um, very professional, and and they have big classes for regular people, and then they have like the trainers for the pro fighters, and and uh, so I'm always looking for inspiration and and looking at how those people train and. And while I'm down here, I'm, I'm doing uh, a lot of striking with a boxing coach and doing some jujitsu and stuff. And not for the sake of mixing that stuff in with Wing Chun, but just for the sake of, one, keeping myself sharp. Um, and because at my school, I'm teaching most of the time. And if I ask my students to attack me, I usually have to tell them three or four times to yeah, come on and really try to hit me and stop trying to, because they're very respectful. You know, they, they you know. Really, you, you, all aside, dude, if you ever want me to punch you in the face, just say so. I have <laughs> absolutely no respect for you whatsoever. <laughs> so, so while I'm down here, you know, I, I can kind of keep myself sharp and, 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 uh, train, you know, with some really, really high level guys. And, and that gives me some ins inspiration for improving the program and how I teach things and how I present things. And, and so it's important that the instructors uh, also do their own training outside of the bubble of their own school, because you can get good training with your own students, like when you build them up and they can yeah. really come at you, but it's still within the realm of your guys. So every once in a while, I think an instructor needs to ship themselves off somewhere far away where no one's around, no one can bug them, and train with people who don't know or don't care who you are, and, and you just right. keep yourself honest, and and, uh, and and you improve that way. So so that's that's uh, basically what I've been spending my time here doing. That's awesome, dude. That's awesome. So we have we have a question this week. Yes. Um, Someone wrote in asking more specifically to you because you actually run a school as opposed to me, which has a fantasy school. Um, do you think it's more beneficial? Is that right? Do you think it's beneficial for a female practitioner of an art to train in a woman's only class mm -hmm. or should the classes be gender mixed? Mm -hmm. 
Which one do you think is? Uh... Uh, so that that's actually a really good question, and uh, I don't think that there is a. A solid black or white answer on that. So we actually had at various times at City Wing Chun, we had all women's classes. And we stopped doing them after a while because I, I just found uh, that it tends to, it can, and of course this is not speaking for all women's only classes out there, um, but it can, sometimes women can feel like they're being pandered to a little bit. Um, and of, of course, if we're talking about self-defense skill, uh, then in, on the most practical level, it's important that then women train with guys or bigger men that are going to be similar in size to that kind of person which they may encounter on the street. Um, but having said that, you still need to make sure that the school atmosphere is, is such that women feel safe right. in an environment training with other men and that they know if there's bigger men kind of holding on to them, this is within the scope of training and that they can always tell the guy like, Hey, can you let go or stop or whatever? Like, as long as they know that they're rules and that it's safe, I think that having a class of mixed uh, men and women should, should not be a problem. And it hasn't been a problem for that reason. Um, occasionally I think it's okay to do a separate class for women uh, in terms of the kind of situations that they're going to end up in because the category of self is so if we're talking about self-defense, not just not just regular martial arts training, but just self-defense. The situation that women end up in is different than men, you know, because women normally are in a situation where it's kind of a slowly escalating assault, oftentimes by somebody that they actually already know. Whereas with men, it's just it's kind of like the chest thumping with the F you looking at kind of bar kind of thing where it kind of goes from there. And when you discuss self-defense, the, the way the self-defense situation starts is really important to how you're going to conduct yourself and how you're going to carry that out. And the standard situation that men find themselves in is not necessarily the situation that women will find themselves in. So I think sometimes it's necessary just to maybe have a special women's self-defense class to kind of discuss those special situations and tactics that women might want to use as these kind of things escalate or maybe things that specifically happen on the ground if it's a sexual assault. Um, but I think in general, if it comes to like a normal, like let's say in my case, a Wing Chun class, that men and women can be mixed because you have safe training protocols and when people know how to train together. And, and I don't think that's a problem at all. And I, I, don't, I don't foresee it as a problem, but it depends on the culture of the school. I know Wing Chun schools where the culture is so ego kind of jock locker room driven that you know these wing chun instructors come to me and they're like i don't know why i don't have any women and i'm like you, you don't even have a changing room and you got a bunch of dudes changing out in the open and like and you think a woman's gonna come in and feel safe in that environment right, and right, right. and also like the way that they train is like hyper competitive but not with any progressive resistance they go of course women are not interested in that at all right, so sure. it depends on how you do it and i think women's only classes can be beneficial within a martial arts school when they're in a regular program where they train with men. I don't know if women's only classes are going to truly prepare them for what it's like to really have a bigger, stronger person trying to to grab them or hold them down. Um, but it's not to say that those things aren't beneficial. I know martial arts schools that are run by women for women only, mm -hmm. and they, they're very successful. And, and, and of course, if women are not only concerned with self-defense, they just want to train martial arts in an environment with other women, well, there's no problem with that either. But um, in the general scope, I, I don't necessarily think it's necessary. Do you, do you have a take on that? 
Oh, well, I absolutely defer to you. You're the one with the experience in this. Um, I have very little experience with that. I've had female students. I've never had a, enough female students to say I had to have a separate class. Mm-hmm. Um, all the female students I've ever had have always trained in with the regular class. Um, I've always chalked that up for me with being that we were so, we so small. And I kind of feel like even though you're large, I think the same thing goes on. In that we were always able to uh, weed out the douchebags that would make a woman feel unsafe in the, in the training. So if, if I, if especially when I have, especially when I, if if I want to have a female student, I'm very. Um, it's in the forefront of my mind how people interact with her, so that she's never felt intimidated and um, and and sometimes it's not until you have a female student in the class. That you realize that you have an asshole, you know. <laughs> right, sometimes, right, right. Like, you know, because sometimes a guy will be a guy and just act like a normal dude in front of ten other guys. But yes. then the second you put a woman in the room, it's like insta dick, you know. Yes. And it's not until you re- you have a, f- a couple of females in the room that you realize that hey, some of the guys that train here are assholes and they gotta go. Yeah, yeah. You know, and um, and again, that's one of the things. It's one of the cool vibes I've always got from your place. And from being around your students is that like there really aren't any dicks, you know? I mean, I mean, I'm sure there's some guys there I'd like more than others. Sure. But um, clearly, the women that are uh, in your school, uh, for the little bit I've been around them, just seem very comfortable and and yes. and, and well adjusted and happy. And, and and if they were dealing with some asshole in their school, it it. It, it would they wouldn't be that way and yeah. um and so yeah so i the, the only other thing i met, mentioned it to you a little bit once before was um someone had once asked me um when if, if a male student was doing cheese out with a female student should the, the female student wear some sort of chest protector or something to that effect mm-hmm. for obvious reasons um and you know what i can't i'm not going to be one of these guys who say what a woman should be comfortable with um you know oh no this should make you fine so i asked a woman that i know who trains in martial arts and does she sell on a regular basis and i said you know what's your thoughts on this i, I don't even know do you wear a chest protector when you're you know dealing with these guys doing she sell and she kind of laughed at me and said no why would the fuck would i wear a chest protector i can tell if a guy is an asshole or not mm-hmm. you know but you know if, if, if a guy goes for some sort of goes for some sort of touch that's not called for, you know, she would put him in his place and tell the instructor and and, and that, that would be over with. And that's the only kind of um, experience I really have with any kind of uh, direct question I've ever received on that. But I, I, you know, I've never run a commercial school and sure. never, and, and what little school that I did run in my own house here was never on the scale of what you do. So, you dealt you dealt with this on a level that I'll never deal with, and I uh, I just I do think it's a really interesting topic because you want people to train where they're comfortable training. You know, people when people ask me, oh, where should I train? I have these three lineages available to me. Mm-hmm. I always say to them, go into the school, look at the vibe of the school, right, and f- forget about the lineage. Worry about where you know you're going to spend a large part of your time, and you know what's the vibe of the school. And I think that's even more so for women because yes. w- women, 
I just got to read the newspapers today. What's going on? Women get put upon so much by fucking assholes that, you know, they have to go to a place where they feel safe. You know, they have to go into a place where they can feel vulnerable enough to train in a realistic manner and, and still trustworthy of their training partners and their shifu. And um, it's, it's, it's definitely a, uh, a topic that uh, can't be handled lightly, you know. Sure. And um, something that only can be dealt with, I think, like like by a guy like you and and your school, like you know, I think that uh, sounds. Well, like... I think I think there are a couple things like, like anything else. It's always it's always a top down culture. So like you know, the people who are at the top essentially create the culture of the rest of their school or their association or whatever. So it, it, it's people can feel that you know, and if if there's a kind of a culture of creepiness or whatever that's going to right. permeate throughout the lower levels. And um, and that was a, a big problem with my former association with with the IWTAs because um, you know Sifa Leung Ting had kind of very strange personality quirks and very strange way of interacting with people and he was always very suspicious of everybody and then so he created a culture where everyone within his association is like suspicious of each other and people are always like not sure this guy's trying to trick you or whatever and then it created a very kind of corrosive. Right. And, uh, uh, atmosphere, but like in my school, my primary motive is to help people be a better version of themselves with Wing Chun being the vehicle to achieve that. I, I don't, for me, I'm not shoving self-defense down anyone's throats or fighting or being the next lineage holder of Wing Chun or like none of that stuff's important. People need to come and they need to say, okay, whatever it is they want to be better at, like they want to improve their confidence, their fitness, their physical ability to defend themselves, whatever that is, I'm going to help them be a better version of themselves. And I use Wing Chun as the vehicle. And I always found that women tend to pick up Wing Chun a lot quicker than men because they inherently understand the idea of not using brute force to deal with the incoming force of the opponent. So you tell a woman, like, when the guy's coming at you, you know, use your footwork to move out of the way and then take an angle rather than just stay there and kind of take the force full power. Right. You need you need to decondition men for years and years and years to get them to let go of the ego, bro, so you can just, like, give way and hit the guy from the side. You know, it's like, well, why? I can just stand here because I'm big and strong. But women, you tell them to move out of the way and then take an angle. They're like, okay, and they just do it, right? right. And so what you just need to do is maybe build up some of their um, confidence to actually go in and really try to hit somebody. But they understand the idea of giving way and moving. So I actually find this a lot easier to teach Wing Chun the, to, to females, especially in terms of the them understanding the concepts and integrating it a lot easier. And it also doesn't hurt that my most senior student, my, my only graduated essentially master's student is female. So it's like the, the highest example I have under me is actually a female student. That's so awesome. uh, that uh, so awesome. I, I, I think that that, that, that example there is part of the reason why the women in my school see that they're also able to do it and, and why I don't, um, you, you know, because the other thing, too, is... Well, what's her name again? Her name is Nicole, Nicole Daniels. And she and, runs Urban Wing Chun, right? No, no, that's actually run by a student of mine named Caillou. So Nicole oh, primarily uh, Nicole primarily teaches at my New York headquarters, but oh, she okay. is now uh, going to be opening a branch with Barry, uh, who's another one of my CIFA level instructors, whom I think you know as well. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, and and they're going to be doing something in in North Jersey. So um, she'll be she'll be teaching there twice a week, and then she teaches at my school. Oh, so cool. Yeah. And um, you know what? What's I think the other thing too. What a lot of other I can only speak for Wing Chun, but I think why a lot of Wing Chun instructors are 
short-sighted in the women's thing is because first of all city wing chun is not a competitive school we don't i don't train people to go into fighting competitions right, or, right, e right. or even the local kung fu points or like we don't, we don't do that we're, we're totally kind of benefits and attributes focus and we don't care about like the whole competition thing so as a result i'm not training people to be competitive fighters in my school so it doesn't make sense to have the atmosphere of that kind of dog eat dog who's the best guy who pleases sifu as the best fighter right. but the thing is most of the other wing chun schools are not competitive either but they still have that attitude as if somehow right. they're trying right. to push out world champions so of course they naturally only care about the biggest strongest dude or whatever sure. to the detriment of the people who actually need it if somebody walks into your school and they're big and strong and full of confidence and you teach them wing chun you didn't make that person a fighter you just taught somebody who was already a fighter how to fight using wing chun Right. For me, it's like you take that proverbial 90-pound weakling, walks into your school, they're kind of afraid of their shadow, and you build up their confidence and give them the skills that, not that they're going to fight and knock out everybody they see, but that if something happens to them, they can put their hands up and say, like, hey, man, take it easy, and they have the confidence to stand up for themselves. If you can do that with somebody who walked into your school afraid of their shadow, then, sir, you are a world-class instructor. But you take somebody who was already a fighter and teach them how to throw chain punches – you did not make that person a fighter. And those are often the people that the other Kung Fu schools try to take credit for is the guys who already walk in full bruiser mode. And, right. and they don't see themselves as like, no, my job is actually to develop people into being a better version of themselves. So I, I think it's understanding what I actually do, i.e. not train people competitively. I train people to be a better version of themselves and then make that the culture of the school and not right. pretend somehow that uh, – the only the person who can beat up everybody is the one who court, courts my attention and favor. Yeah, you know, I'm not going to say any names because, you know, I'm just not going to. But you have a, uh, a female student that I'm friends with on Facebook, and she just seems like one of the most well-adjusted people in the world. And I don't know if she was that way before she started training with you or not, but she's definitely fucking cool. And I wouldn't want to fight her. <laughs> you, know? <laughs> you know, it just seems like I, you know, I get that impression. Like, you know, man, she just seems like so cool. Like you'd want to hang out with her. Yes. You know, and but you wouldn't want to fight her. You no. know what I mean? She seems like she's fucking tough, and she's she's about as tough as any dude that I know. So yeah, well, that makes me happy. I mean, that's what I'm trying to do. And and I just from, think it's me, pretty damn cool. Yeah, if she's listening. Me, okay. If she's listening, she knows if she's friends with me on Facebook. So. It's <laughs> <laughs> but uh, she definitely seems pretty fucking cool. I know that. Absolutely. That's awesome to hear, man. Awesome to hear. So, man, we uh, I, I know I was a little bit busy in the last few weeks, but I'm going to put together the meme for your AMA because your AMA is coming up next. Yeah, I think I asked you for that, like, I don't know, a fucking month ago, you jerk off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's just been a very, very brutal time for me to get stuff done. And um, what we're going to do, so for you guys out there, Sean's AMA is up next. So we're going to post that on the Dudes of Kung Fu um, Facebook page and also on the Instagram page. So just like you guys did with my AMA, uh, you guys can write in your questions in the comments. So don't send them to us as uh, messages. Put them out there in the comments so we can see them. And then uh, Sean will do his AMA where he's going to record uh, his answers to the questions that are both on the Instagram Dudes of Kung Fu as well as on the uh, Facebook page Dudes of Kung Fu as well. So I'm um, very excited to hear that. Did you have a chance to listen to my AMA? I doubt it. I did though. I oh, you did. did. Oh. oh yeah, no, it was very good. <laughs> oh, because you didn't see, you didn't say anything. So I'm like, oh, you probably doesn't even want to bother listening to my. AMA. No, no, no. I absolutely <laughs> did. You know what? I, I I'm not gonna lie. I actually listened to it more for style and content because I said okay. Because you said to me, oh, listen to the way I did the AMA. 
So yes. on the way home from work one day, I put it in and, and listened to it. It was very good. I mean, you know, it was... I mean, I'm not going to lie. I'm kind of tired of hearing your fucking voice sometimes anyway. But... <laughs> yeah, it's pretty intense. It's like, well, it's two and a half or two hours and 50 minutes of just me, right? <laughs> so, uh, but I, uh, but I, I mentioned you a bunch of times throughout. And there were some great questions where people asked me about, like, some people I had trained with in the past. And, and it's interesting to, like, like, some of the questions, like, whoa, people have been following me for a while because they know a bunch of weird stuff about me. So it was kind of... <laughs> It was kind of interesting, so that was a lot of fun. I am really looking forward to the to the AMA. I, 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 you know, I've never done one of these before, and you know, you, I kind of feel like you have this like built in like audience of supporters, and I'm like, I'm not watch. There's gonna be three people to fucking write in the question for me. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm gonna have like three real real questions and an hour of me just talking shit. Well, that's fine because you just need to fill out the time answering the questions. If you have three questions, then you're going to spend like half an hour on each question. Right. And, and there you go. So my, my answers were tailored solely yeah. to the number of uh, questions that we had. So Yeah, I'm really looking forward to it, though. I hope people write in some stuff because awesome. I, uh, I really am looking forward to it. And for those of you out there, the new uh, edition of Wing Chun Illustrated just hit, which has another... Uh, uh, Kung Fu Genius uh, column from me, and it has uh, Sifu Lee Moi Shan, who's from the Moyat lineage. Yes, I saw that. Was well. a great, that the, was a great yeah, article. Yeah, he's on the cover, and um, yeah, lots of uh, great little articles in there, and so as always, we'd love you guys to support Wing Chun Illustrated Magazine, listen to the ad at the beginning of our podcast, so you guys can find out how to get that six-month subscription as a listener to the Dudes of Kung Fu podcast, and yeah, the, that's, uh, that's pretty much all I got to say. You got anything else, Sean? No, we're good, guy. All right, man. So, talk, talk to you next week, I hope. Yeah, talk to you next week. <laughs> All right. Be good, everybody. Right. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to our latest episode. Please help us get the word out there by sharing this and other episodes on your favorite social media platforms. If you're enjoying the Dudes of Kung Fu podcast, there are many ways in which you can support it. Go to dudesofkungfu.com support to find out how you can help your favorite Kung Fu podcast. We are currently using Patreon to automate great benefits to those who support the podcast. As a supporter of the Dudes, you'll get early access to episodes, as well as a number of other benefits based on your donation level. This includes in-depth topic lectures and even monthly live video conferences with the Dudes. Again, go to dudesofkungfu.com support to find out more about that. As always, you can help support us in small ways as well. Give us a like at the Dudes of Kung Fu Facebook page and share links to episodes. If Twitter is your preferred social media outlet, you can follow the Dudes of Kung Fu there as well. Both Big Sean Madigan and yours truly are on Twitter too. Dudes of Kung Fu is now also on Instagram, so tag it along with the hashtag Dudes of Kung Fu whenever you post something related to the podcast. A great way to support the Dudes is to rate and review it on either the iTunes or Android app stores. The written reviews are immensely more helpful than just giving us a five-star rating. If you have any suggestions for topics or guests, please write us at the Dudes of Kung Fu Facebook page. Please understand that neither Sean nor I can guarantee a response, but we will consider any serious suggestions. And finally, I ask that you help spread an open dialogue with other practitioners of martial arts. Chinese Kung Fu in particular has long since suffered from caustic political discourse, which can only change with you. Remember, the person you wholeheartedly disagree with doesn't love martial arts any less than you do. Take care and thank you for supporting the Dudes of Kung Fu!